Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Voices of Music Therapy podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lacasio, and our guest today has received her master's degree in music therapy at the University of Kansas. She developed the music therapy program at the Center for Excellence and Disabilities at West Virginia University and led the first inclusive music therapy slash musical theater program in the state called Dreamcatchers. She currently works as a music therapist in a school district and is also the co-founder of Music Therapy Made Simple, a business that supports music therapy students and professionals through consulting and online resources. Katie is motivated by seeing others succeed through music and is passionate about empowering music therapists to feel successful in the work they do. I'd like to welcome our guest for today, Katie Fortino. Hello. Hello, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. And one of the first things I always like to ask our guests when they come in is a little bit about music therapy. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about you, um, anything additional you want to add, but also kind of how you explain and define music therapy to people. Sure, absolutely. Um, thanks for doing that intro. That's really helpful. Um, but my name's Katie, and um, I currently live in New York City, but I'm working remotely for a school district actually in Kansas City. So um, kind of in two different places right now. Um, I remember one of the first times that I was working as a student on a cancer care unit for adults. And I walked into a room and this lady said, are you auditioning for American Idol? And then she pulled out a $20 bill and she was going to give it to me for my audition. And I was totally frozen. And I thought this is the moment that everyone's been telling me someone's going to ask what music therapy is and I'm going to be really scared um, to tell them. But as the years go on, you start to get really excited when people ask because you realize that you can change your definition based on who you're talking to, because we all have things that we are passionate about all like that. That's something that gets you going. And um, if you can find it for that person and then describe what music therapy is, I always feel like they get excited, too. But in general, I usually say that music therapy is the use of music experiences or music interventions. I kind of changed over the past few years after taking a philosophy class with Dr. Matney um, that allowed me to kind of open up my idea of, of what music therapy could be and the potential that we have as music therapists and um, started to kind of expand my definition to say music experiences or music interventions because it changes, you know, each client that you see, it, it's different what that music might look like or what that music experience might look like. So I usually say that it's a music experience or a music intervention that supports an individual or a group and then kind of talk about how that change that we create through music or a music experience is supposed to help with functional outcomes. I feel like people get really excited when you tell them something that you that you worked through with someone with with music through music where there something that happened in their daily life was changed positively where they can really say like wow you know they picked up that fork and they could eat and that made it really easy for their you know for their parents or for their family and it improved their quality of life so much so i do usually try to speak to like what change was able to come out of that music experience but defining it is usually different for who you're talking to or, or what situation you're talking about. 
I think it's really, really effective that you adapt to each person. And I know that's something that people who have been in the field a little bit longer do. I think when you are a student and people ask you what it is, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to mess it up. All right. There's all these expectations. Oh, that's so relatable. And yeah, I, I feel like there were so many times when I would just say it's music and um, and and goals and just music and goals. And, and that would just be it. And over time, if you kind of like open up to flexibility a little bit and I think to talking to other people, when I would hear like my sweet dad explain what it was to someone else and I'd be like, that wasn't it. (laughs) But then you realize the way that you have shared it with other people, then they get their own idea, you know, of what it is or or um, what it could be. And so really just talking to more people about it, I think, is the easiest way to to start to define it in a way that can be manipulated to whoever you're talking to. Cause you're right. If you just spew out that one sentence and you're like, Oh, I don't know. Yes. It can be very uncomfortable when you first start, but yeah, after it's repetition, like that's what gets it to kind of settle in your own way. And stories. I mean, people who don't have never heard of music therapy or, or maybe haven't had the opportunity to experience it. I think telling stories is super helpful because people relate to to stories or how they might see themselves or their child or a friend or something like that in those experiences can be really helpful. So I I try to tell stories when I talk about it, like HIPAA compliance stories, but. (laughs) I also think it's really great that you talked a little bit about how um, you, you said to achieve their musical, what was the term you used to achieve? Um, Let's see. I talked about like functional outcomes, like talking about outcomes that can improve their quality of life, something that is really functional to to their living, even like in the moment too, you know, if that might be like just self-regulation, if that's what they need in the moment, um, maybe that's what's functional at the time, or maybe it's like a long-term goal, like picking up your fork and having that be something that is useful during your day or something like that. So I think people relate to seeing a functional outcome, something that that they can relate to again in, in stories in that way. Yes. And I was, when you were saying that I was thinking about music and how therapy obviously interplays in that process, but specifically keeping that functional goals definition open allows for like musical goals too. And a lot of times I know there was a little thing a few years ago where people were like, no, we like do non-musical goals, but I mean, sometimes what could be best for the client is their musical goals as well. So that keeps it kind of open to that. Yes, absolutely. I think the flexibility in that really is honestly so freeing to me to be able to have that flexibility in how you how you define it so that you can meet your clients where they're at. And that is our goal as music therapists. So <laughs> that's <laughs> <Yeah>. probably good. <laughs> that's the way to do it. Yeah. I mean, it is freeing. It is if having that flexibility to think of uh, it a little bit more widely in in the potential that has really kind of unlocked a freedom for me that's like I can really just meet my client where they're at and figure out what we need to do from there right like we can pull research in so many different areas that might be helpful to like paint a picture of what this music experience or this music intervention might look like but being willing to kind of step out a little bit of of the box is important adaptability kind of keeping that Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so what led you to music therapy speaking of all of this kind of knowledge and things that you've learned over the years on how to define it 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I really wanted to do musical theater when I was in high school. I thought I, I really wanted to do that. Um, and I went to a few auditions my senior year, even into my freshman year of college uh, for summer stock and summer things. And I realized that wasn't my true passion. Like I loved musical theater and I loved being with groups of people, but I loved the process more than the show itself. But I still wanted to do something with music and I really wanted to do something that supported people. And I had a voice teacher who had a student, I told her all of these things, and she had a student who was a previous student who was a music therapy student at the University of Kansas. And so she gave me her phone number and I talked to her and I ended up shadowing a music therapist and I absolutely loved it. And so I ended up going to KU and my love for it really started there. What an awesome experience, too, to have that therapist willing to take the time to talk to you. And right? did you shadow that same therapist? No, I actually shadowed someone different. The The person that I talked to was still a student and the, the person that I shadowed was a music therapist. But anytime anyone asks me, like, could I sit in or could I, you know, check check out what something that you do or watch a video or something, I am always like, yes please, because someone did that for me. And it was so helpful because you, I mean, of course, as long as the family or whoever is willing and and it's appropriate for that situation, but it's so different to learn about it, especially as a 17 and 18 year old to kind of hear about it. Cause we we know that music therapy can be so like beautifully complex, but just really being able to put your eyes on it and see change that happens even in a session was so important for me. I remember I saw like two kids who just seemed so engaged. And I don't I don't think I knew what that was at the time, but they were just so in the moment with this music therapist and I smiled the whole time and it was awesome. That shadowing experience, it was just one day and it was it was fantastic. So I would suggest that for anyone who would be willing to to let someone in for a day just to see cuz it absolutely changed my my mind. Yeah. And even if you're a student who's currently listening, I I noticed at least in my undergrad, I hadn't really observed a professional music therapist until my senior year. So that could be a great opportunity because it's completely different than observing your fellow classmates. I was thinking that there were so many times when I thought to myself, I'm so glad that I was able to shadow that music therapist, but that was a while, you know, that was several, several years ago. And so I think at the time music therapy was not something that I had even like really heard of at all. And now like my aunt actually called me the other day and said, I have this friend whose daughter is really interested in music therapy. Can she call you? And I texted her my number. I said, call anytime. And when I talked to her, she was like 14. And I thought, oh my goodness. So young. Yeah, I was like, oh, my gosh, this, you know, she she wasn't really looking into colleges yet, but she was heard about it and was interested. And the mom happened to know that I was a music therapist. And so it really made me excited to see that, like, people are thinking about it in like a serious way as a career, as a field earlier on than like when you get to a like a college fair day or like a career day. Yeah, you hear about something, some programs that might be available. Um, I know I've done like in services or just presentations for like choir, senior year choir kiddos where you 
explain what music therapy is. And some of them have never heard of it, but it seems like people are learning about it and getting excited about it. And I think that's so fantastic. So yeah, I would say even if you're a student or someone who's younger, you have someone who might be interested in it, who is younger. I bet there are music therapists out there who are willing to to take you on for a day just to fully experience it. Yeah. And obviously it's going to look different now in today's world than it did when you observed. So uh, yes, <laughs> what is it? What does it look like for you now? Music therapy and the practice and everything. Oh, my goodness. This year has been such this last year has been such a whirlwind. But right now, currently for me, everything is virtual. Everything is remote, has been a huge change. But we, we talked a little bit earlier before we got on, but just thinking about some days that are so fantastic and you think telehealth is the best thing yeah. that has happened. You know, you see, it, uh, for me, it's kids in a school district. So it's anywhere from like six to 18. Um, I think I have a couple 19 year olds, but there are some days where they are just fantastic. They're so engaged. Telehealth just has worked beautifully. And then there are some days where you just wish you could be in the room with them, you know? And so that's that's been different. But right now I'm doing uh, remote work for a school district and also doing Music Therapy Made Simple, which is an online business with two friends. And it is a business where we do two things, consulting and online resources. And that's for music therapy students and professionals and organizations, but also for other professionals. We have had conversations with OT and PT and speech and also other fields. We talked to a drama therapist and I was so happy. So we're really starting to expand our audience, which is so much fun um, because collaborating is really the best. I just love it. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously you're going to get totally different experiences from each one of those fields and all the questions they have. I'm sure it's been truly fascinating to hear from their perspectives. It is. And music, especially during the journey of telehealth, has been kind of a common denominator, I found out, which is fantastic, um, very exciting and um, honestly very useful for a lot of people. I've heard of some people who just like need to use music as a way to calm their classroom down or as a reward or something like that. So even just talking to people about like, how has music been helpful this year is something that kind of changed, changed our trajectory of the business, which was really exciting. Always being ready for the changes, the ever-changing world <laughs> that we're currently living yes. in. I know. I've I, I've thought this since like undergrad, but if we could all just get shirts that say like the best thing to do is be flexible or something like music therapist equals <laughs> adaptable or something like that, because it really is the most important skill and it's not an easy one, but it's important. And I definitely think we all contribute adaptability and versatility within our practices. It's kind of the trade, but kind of leading that in to our next question. I always like to ask guests what they contribute to the world of music therapy or how they're innovative. So if you'd like to talk on that a little bit, and then I can introduce our topic for today. Sure. Yeah. When I was thinking about this question, I thought, gosh, do I, you know, do I contribute anything? But part of me was thinking, I hope in a way I can contribute to the field as a whole, you know, now and in the future in, in innovative ways. 
just as as a whole as as music therapists, but just contributing to yeah the trajectory of music therapy. I, I hope that I can do that, but also just contributing to when you hit the leave meeting on a Zoom telehealth call and you like take a sigh out and you realize that your student or your client, your kid has done something really cool and meaningful. And that's been a way that has made me have have purpose and like feel like I'm contributing in some way, even in in a small way to see people succeeding through music is makes me very happy. So that's that's my day to day, hopefully (laughs) contribution. But my my long term goal is something that I worked on for my master's thesis, which is talking about inclusive musical theater and music therapy clinical practice. So that's the kind of my hot topic that I love to chat with people about. And hopefully that can be part of my contribution to the innovation or the trajectory of music therapy. It's definitely already out there. Music therapists are using musical theater in ways, but I um, hope that I can contribute further to the research and the framework um, that we can work under to, to combine the two mediums together. Yeah. And I love that you're able to recognize both like a broader scope of being innovative, but how, how cool is that to realize that even a single session or a single moment in a session could be innovative for that client? Like, ah, that is what a great rewarding way to keep yourself energized throughout the length of a profession. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. You know, it's hard to realize there, there have been like the, the week before uh, winter break when everyone's exhausted, you know, the, the teachers are exhausted, the parents are exhausted, the kids are ready to go. Um, and in those times you're like, oh my goodness, this week is so chaotic, but there are just those, those bits, those moments that are so meaningful and that you realize that that teacher, you know, I had a teacher send a note to a parent about something that they did in music therapy. It's like, you don't realize like how far your effect, the effect of like one session can go. Maybe that, and like you said, maybe that energized that parent or that family when they saw their kid um, do something successfully. So yeah, I want people to feel like you don't have to contribute something huge to what you're doing on a day-to-day basis is is so important and, and meaningful also. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that will definitely drive home to a lot of people. So talking a little bit more about inclusive musical theater and music therapy, I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about it, particularly when you hear that term or when you say it, what what kind of comes to mind? Yeah, absolutely. I am a very visual person. So doing a podcast is kind of strange because it's it's us, you know, talking and I can't show anyone anything. But if you could picture a Venn diagram with music therapy in one circle and inclusion and musical theater in another, and it would all come together in that middle piece there. It's the combination of those three elements, musical theater, music therapy, and inclusion. And the inclusion bit is very exciting because... As I'm sure you realize, there are so many definitions of inclusion. When you ask people, like, what does inclusion mean to you? The vast range of answers is amazing. 
even that was one of the questions. So for for the purpose of my thesis, I had to narrow it down as far as inclusion because of the time frame and the topic that I had. So inclusion for my thesis was children with and without disabilities ages 5 to 18. So we are talking specifically like in special education or an inclusive environment in that realm. But even talking with the participants and talking to other artists and other drama therapists or really anyone that you talk to, if you ask them what inclusion means, their definition is sometimes wildly different. And that's what I think is so exciting about this combination of music therapy, musical theater and inclusion is that whatever you decide that inclusive bit is should fit whatever the need is for your community. There is an article that I love, um, Diane Austin article about a show that she's a music therapist that did at Grace Street, which was a, a musical that it was like a musical theater, music therapy combination several years ago. And if I'm remembering this correctly, it like stems from an AA meeting and it talks about including people at a, like an AA meeting where they all share their experiences. It's kind of like a song cycle, actually. But I remember first reading that and thinking like, that's inclusive. And it was it wasn't my definition of inclusion for this particular thesis. But I, you know, adore that experience. That's amazing. There was a a company that started a show um, and music therapists were supporting the show. I don't think they were they were directing the show, but they were there supporting the story. And it was teenagers going through some really difficult grief experiences within that community. And they were including some really wide variety of types of people, all backgrounds and experiences. And I was like, that's inclusive. It doesn't fit my definition of inclusion for this project. But knowing that that inclusion piece could be so widely changed to fit whatever your community need would be, that's like innovation or yeah, innovation in itself that you have the potential as a music therapist to to decide what inclusion means means for you or for that community and that this type of project could fit that need. Um, it doesn't just have to be special education and, and that definition of inclusion. So I think that begs the question for you. Well, you said you kind of defined the inclusion of those three aspects. Is there anything else that was like excluding criteria for your definition of inclusion? So for the purpose of this project, the definition revolved around it having to be a performance. So there had to be a performance of some type um, and it had to be for an audience. So different than maybe a performance that would just be for like just the group itself, like a perform a peer performance where you're maybe just performing in the group. The performance had to be for a group of people, for an audience, but I didn't really define what that performance looked like in order to be able to see more experiences that people were having because um, that was one of of the goals of the project was to really start looking at what is the terminology? Can we more clearly define what these pieces of the inclusive musical process actually mean? Because once you start doing research on the terminology of inclusion or inclusive musical theater or music therapy in general, like we talked about, there's so many different terms 
and finding like a standard definition is really difficult. So I worked to define some of those processes, processes like the, what those really mean and not so much the general definition of what is it? Because like we talked about a little bit, like that flexibility is, is important. Yeah, especially in research, because the smallest little tweak and how you define something can eliminate 40 articles. Yes. And that's what I was working to avoid as I started to realize that because I, I was at the beginning, I was going for a very strict definition. I was like, this is what I wanted to be. And then, yeah, I started to realize that, shoot, I'm not going to have as many participants as I'd like if I keep it so um, specific. So, yeah, opening that up a little bit while still including the the music therapy aspect and the performance aspect in, in an inclusive environment. So keeping those components, but not making it so strict that I didn't have anyone to talk to. Where did you get the idea of this project? Or, you know, I know you have a background in musical theater as well, but what led you to think, hey, you know, these would be really great together? Yeah, like you said, I always have had a passion for musical theater and have always done some sort of musical theater on the side of what I'm doing. It's always been like a hobby. I kind of got out of the performing myself like after college, after undergrad, and then started transitioning into being on the other side of like directing and music directing or helping in ways, not as a performer, but on the other side. I, so I always had that as, as like a side hobby that I that I always did on top of musical theater. But what year was that? 2016, Dr. Dina Register, amazing woman and awesome friend. We worked together at West Virginia University and the program was new at the Center for Excellence and Disabilities. And it was awesome because they allowed us to create programming based on the community need. And so we did a needs assessment for the community. And I had a, a team of people who so beautifully also loved musical theater um, and had a passion for it as well. And the team we had was just the dream team. After that needs assessment came in, we thought we can do this, let's do it. So we created a program that was an inclusive musical theater, music therapy program called Dreamcatchers. And that was the first experience I had in combining the two. It was such a wild ride because we really flew by the seat of our pants the whole time. And it was the most, it was the busy, well, not including 2020. It was the busiest year <laughs> of my life. Sometimes I think about that year and I'm like, how did I do all of that? How did we do all of the things that we did in one year? And I wouldn't change it for the world. It it totally changed the trajectory of my passions and the things I get excited about. That was the first experience of, of combining the two things together. And I, just from that experience, I, I knew that there was something so special about having a music experience that includes theater because... Really, theater is play. It's it's really uh, it's an article in um, Imagination. It's a, a magazine. Imagine. Imagine magazine. I wrote it with an OT 
an occupational therapist named Amy Bird, who's also fantastic. And we got to talk about sociodramatic play. And it was so much fun because it was talking about how theater is play and how the language of children is play. And for this topic, music and play go hand in hand as well. So it's a, a really lovely recipe for like people to feel successful. And also it's a great way to level the playing field, especially in the community that we were in at West Virginia University. Not many people had done a musical before. And so it was really fresh for everyone. Like no one was coming in with like 10 years of experience. It was an, a brand new experience for everyone, for the kids, for the families, for some of our team. And yeah, it was, it was, it was probably the best clinical experience I've, I've had thus far. And that's what, that was my first time. That was my first combination of the two. And it totally started me on this, this journey. Well, yeah, it just sounds very impactful from everything that you're saying. I, I, as somebody who also has a musical theater background, um, could really see that not only being obviously beneficial for us, but um, to the clients as well. I know you talked a little bit about how you incorporated the two. Could you go into like an example for everyone listening if they're not quite connecting the dots of how you can yeah. really con connect the two? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think too, even just talking about the stories that that can be told. Like if we talk about play, then we talk about like roles. I think that lends itself so well to different stories. If we're going to talk about inclusion, like we, we talked earlier about um, social justice and different topics that can be blended into this play, into this story and can be shared with others. That's something so specific to theater that is very impactful into that as an example of the story that we use for Dreamcatchers, which is a musical um, called On the Other Side of the Fence, which was written by Andrea Green, who's a music therapist. And she wrote a show that is about <laughs> why being different is cool. And it is a show with two different farms. It takes place on a, a farm and the two farms say that they cannot be friends with each other because of, of differences that are had, not to give it away, but they've they struggle through <laughs> their differences. They take the fence away. And at the end, they, they are together. But the, the themes are like, have you ever watched a movie and you realize that the movie is for adults, but it's like a kid's show? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, soul. <laughs> just kidding. Just watch that. <laughs> I just watched that. And to be honest, I thought the whole time, wow, I am blessed to not be explaining this to a child right now, because this is for adults. Um, yes. Yeah, so exactly there. And this, this show, this story was one of those, the kids did such a great job of telling the story. It was so much fun, but the underlying message is like actually one that adults need to practice, right. Yeah. Of like coming together and, and knowing that we have differences and that's okay. And really embracing those differences and living them out. And the kids just like radiated the whole story so beautifully and they got it. Like they got the story. They like kids have no problem catching on. They're like, I know what this is about. Like, you know, and um, so it, it was also 
the story was also just so great to 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 share with all audiences. And I think that's why it can be so widely used. Like if that inclusion bit is something, if that definition of inclusion is something that your community maybe needs to hear, a story that your community needs to hear, that it can it can be performed by all kinds of people, but the story itself can be explained and shared to to everyone and and really make an impact in ways that you thought are not possible. But sorry, your original question of what what it might look like. It's really about the process. This combination of those elements is actually not really about the performance itself. As someone who loves musical theater, you know, I I do adore the curtain opening and seeing the kids' faces and the costumes. For that particular show, I played piano for the show. And so being able to accompany them and see them was just incredible seeing them shine was just the best, but it really wasn't about that curtain opening or me seeing them (laughs) smile or shine. It was really about the process, that whole six months of our weekly sessions together, our groups, that we got to work for an hour through so many different things. We did music therapy interventions. We did OT interventions because we worked with a really big team of OT professionals and students. And so we split up the time. We had music therapy interventions. We had OT interventions. And then we always had time to learn the show and then talk about like characters and roles and then to learn the music for the show itself. It was such a blast. Such a blast. And I'm, I'm thinking about the therapeutic relationship between the music, the therapist and the client. And as you're saying that, it just makes so much sense. Um, even the way that you said you played piano, like what a great way to support a client where you're not only there for them and present in the moment, but you're also musically supporting them quite literally. Yes. And <laughs> so uh, during the actual performance itself, Nicoletta and I, we were like directing the show and we stayed right in front of the stage because <laughs> we had so someone actually accompanied the the opening night performance um and we stayed in the front because you know there's it's live theater yeah. there's someone <laughs> drops a microphone someone doesn't like the way their shirt looks and they decide that while the show is happening so there there were definitely moments of that but being able to to support them musically that whole time was so important because that that adaptability piece, that flexibility piece. I can't tell you how many times in the sh- in the music, Andrea Green did such a beautiful job of saying like vamp, you know? There are some kids that use switches and so we would record their line or their, their partner would record their line and then they would hit that switch and it would play out via the microphone. Sometimes it took them a long time to be able to hit that switch and it was never the same throughout each, you know, rehearsal. And so there was so much vamping that happened that you might not think about. And that's that was something that we had to be flexible. And as a music therapist, you were totally ready for it. It was no problem. But I had an experience like a year after that show and I was directing a seventh grade version of High School Musical, just music directing. That's all we ask for in this world. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was really funny. Also, my little brother was in it and he was so unhappy to be in it. It was a very sweet experience. Um, but I remember thinking, oh my gosh, how does anyone direct a musical without being a music therapist? (laughs) Like it had never occurred to me that all of the things that are useful 
to being a music therapist, all the skills, all the therapeutic skills that we teach and try to learn and really hone in on throughout our entire careers, things that we really work through are so useful to directing or music directing a musical. I mean, there are so many moments I'm sure you can think of where, you know, someone has a meltdown and being able to help them process through that, whether it's through music or discussion, being able to support them in different ways because of your music therapy clinical experience was just absolutely eye-opening for me. And I think as I continue to combine these three elements, you know, musical theater, music therapy, and inclusion, you start to see how perfectly our skills line up to, again, this like recipe of these combination of these three things that it just works. It works. I'm biased, but it works. (laughs) (laughs) We're all a little biased. So, you know, just because we're biased doesn't mean it doesn't work. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think we're going to touch more on that. And I really thank you for taking the time to kind of dive in and discuss those topics right after this commercial break. And we hear from some of our sponsors. We'll dive back in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Voices of Music Therapy podcast. We are currently speaking with Kitty Fortino on her thesis that she wrote regarding music therapy and musical theater and integrating the two. And she just got done describing to us a little bit about what types of specific ways you can incorporate music therapy into the process of preparing a show. So, Kind of tying things back to her thesis, I wanted to ask you, Katie, could you tell me a little bit about the conceptual framework for your thesis and kind of how to decide on what show to do? Because I know there's so many options out there. Yes, absolutely. And I know, too, by this point, you know, we've kind of talked around it. And at this moment, you're probably like, Katie, what what is it actually? You know, like, how, how can I actually do it? And that's how this thesis it came about. This is how this topic came about because, like I said, we did that Dreamcatcher show and we are flying by the seat of our pants. And we did our research study, but we had so many components going because we were developing the program the same time we are facilitating it. And we we're trying to remember everything that we did while also just the chaos of producing a show uh, with people who've never done a show before and, you know, having a technical crew and all that, those kinds of things. So, There are so many pieces. And when I would talk about it, that question was always like, but how do I do it? How can I make this work for me, for me as a music therapist or as a drama therapist or as a teacher or as my team? How how can I do it? And that is where the conceptual framework idea came about. How can I make this framework not to have all the answers, but to get a process down on paper in a way that people might be able to use this framework as a guide to see the steps and the different paths you can take based on the group that you have. We talked earlier about meeting your clients where they're at, and that's really what this framework starts out with. There's um, six different phases in the framework, but the first one is development and planning, and that's where deciding about that show 
comes up. And it's a really important question because it depends on what group that you have. Um, that first question that I might think about is like, what is, what are the outcomes that I want for the program? Those are questions that you would ask as a team or as a community. It's like, what's the need? You know, we did that needs assessment and we figured out that we needed to talk about acceptance of people with disabilities in, in the community. Um, we wanted to have social outcomes for the kiddos who were in the group. We wanted, we had specific communication outcomes for some of the kids that were coming from a, a community clinic that had individual needs. We heard from the community that they wanted an opportunity to perform. And in general, we were looking for a way to boost self-esteem of these kids. We wanted to give them confidence and empower them to know that they can do whatever they want to do. Looking at the outcomes, I think, is the first step in deciding what the show might be, which sounds weird. But again, we're thinking from a therapy lens. So the outcomes are really important. Those goals are, are really important. And from there, it gets more logistical. Of course, finances is a, is a big one. Uh, the budget that you have for the show, licensing is super expensive and it might not be appropriate at all to license a show for your group or your community. And that's a big consideration. And there's other budget considerations that might come into that, which would be like what kind of costumes or what kind of sets do we want to be able to print playbills at the end where we show everyone's name and and what they like? Do we most importantly have the staff? Can we pay the staff? Do we have funding for staff to facilitate this project? Um, so those kind of logistic questions are important for choosing the show because if you don't start with those like development pieces, getting farther along is is more difficult. And we talked to with this group, we had a, a university program affiliated with the center that, that I was at. And so we had students who needed hours. We had big groups of music therapy and OT students that were willing to participate in this program as part of practicum, as part of their hours for a class that we combined with this group. And so there are ways to have different kinds of volunteers along with staff that might fit into your budget, as well as just being so exciting to allow students to be part of this kind of process. I think, again, having that melting pot of professionals and students and different backgrounds and experiences is so important to this this kind of project. But then just deciding what logistically makes sense for your group. If you have five people in the show, you probably aren't going to choose a show that has, you know, 40 characters. And that's where the conversation of, do I pick a show that's already done for me? Or do I write the show myself? Or do I write the show with the participants? In my research for the thesis, I talked to music therapists and a music educator, a drama therapist, other professionals in this uh, musical theater world who had experience creating those shows, whether it was written themselves, written by the participants or licensed. And all three of those were successful, but it was successful based on the needs of the group. Some programs fit into a community theater program where they already had the license for a show and they had a lot of money for the, the performance to be played out. 
And there was a junior version that, you know, really fit the group of kids that they had. And so that was appropriate. But again, for someone who might have, maybe you just have five or 10 people in your group writing it or writing it with the group as needed, especially if you want to tell a story that fits that community. Those are considerations that I would think about in that planning and development phase, because there's also going to be like materials that need to come with this. So If you license a show, you're going to get a script. If you don't license a show and you create that show, you have to create that script yourself. That might be really overwhelming for some people. That might be really exciting for some people. So again, this framework kind of goes through what choices you might have to, to make based on the group that you have. And then thinking about training for this specific group, well, in all groups, you want to make sure that your clients and your staff are safe and you want to make sure that everyone has knowledge and experience or have the ability to be coached through different situations, different techniques for interacting with students who may need more support, talking about, you know, group expectations or also just being able to know that the people you have on your team can successfully facilitate with that group. So just thinking about, will there be a lot of training needed if we choose this, you know, if we choose 30 kids Versus if we have five in the small group. So again, just considerations. I could kind of go on <laughs> too long about those different considerations for planning. But that that would be the first step would be to figure out that the first step of the how can I actually do this is to think about what those outcomes are, decide on what your group looks like, what those needs might be, and then figure out the logistics of what budget do we have? What space do we have? Again, with the group that we had, it was what kind of feeder can we find where our kids can get in there, where they can have an accessible ramp, where there is an elevator, where not only the actors can be allowed into the space physically, but also our audience members have accessible seating. Um, So there's, there's definitely different types of considerations that go into that planning phase. And all of those might change the show that you pick. To answer the question about like, what show would you pick if you picked one that was already done for you. I think that really goes to what your students' strengths are. What are the strengths of the clients that you have? We had talked a little bit about Hamilton, and I think that would that would be tough. Yes, that would be <laughs> I don't be think hard. it's impossible by any means at all, but again, um most licensing productions would maybe give you a CD Or, well, I don't think you can license Hamilton at this time, but... No, I think it's too new. But but any show would give you... Any show that you would license would give you like a script and a a CD, most likely. Some of that music might be really complicated. As music therapists, we know the considerations and the, the way that we manipulate music in order to make it successful for people. So Andrea Green, the musical that she wrote that we did for Dreamcatchers on the other side of the fence was written so beautifully by her because of the way that it allowed students to be really successful. The music was so musical theater. It was like, it was awesome. There were so many like tap your toes moments and little, like there was a tap number in one of them. It was awesome. But the music itself was written that there were chords in the bottom. There was always a, a steady beat. The range of the songs was never too much, and it fit like a, a level of complexity that was a, adaptable for us. So I would think about the show 
that you pick, like, is this going to be adaptable enough for the kids that I have? And I also want to commend you for taking the moment to kind of pose the, the logistical things that could get in the way. And then in addition, ways to solve that. Obviously, finances, especially in 2020, 2021, can be tricky because a lot of us have had to downsize or moved all virtual and that's affected practices. So really posing the way of like getting students involved and things like that is a great way to give back to music therapy, but at the same time do something in a cost effective way and rate. But just like that's not the only thing. A variety of the things that you said are really great things for people to think about. So after you kind of decide, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Let's say, you know, the person decides to write their own musical um and do that what would be the next phase in that process or the next part of your thesis sure yeah so the second phase is recruitment and assessment recruitment came up for us because we chose the show and all we set up all the logistics based on the number of kids that we thought that we had and the community needs assessment that we did but we didn't actually recruit and figure out our exact number of kids until after we had decided all of that. So that recruitment was really an exciting phase because you start to talk to people with word of mouth. You start to have clients from other settings. We did some flyers and a website. And there are also considerations that come with that, right? Like, is your registration form accessible? Do they have a way to read it, to drop it off? Do they have a way to get it to you so that you know everything that you need before that first group starts. So again, kind of going through those different kind of recruitment needs, but then talking about assessment, I mean, this is revolving again around music therapy, clinical practice. And so designing and implementing that first group meeting, it might look different than uh, an initial assessment might look. Let's say if you're doing like a SEMTAP might be different than what this group might look like, but it, it could be, I mean, the possibilities are are really open. But these considerations for the second phase are figuring out just like, you know, write down what you want to know about your group by the end of that first meeting and then decide, well, this is a separate part, but decide if if auditions are part of your assessment process. Some people say, you know, we don't want to do auditions, but we did auditions and it worked beautifully because it gave kids, we were really focused on giving them an experience that was the same as a traditional musical theater experience. We didn't want there to be any parts lacking to what you would get in a traditional experience. And so we had kids read in lines individually. They read lines as a group. We played some acting games. We sang, did some dancing and movement. And so we did our assessment that way. And because we had a large team, there was a way that we assessed people individually and at, in a group. But at the end of that, we just revi revisited those questions from the beginning, which was, you know, bare bones. What did we want to find out? What were the strengths and what were the needs of, of that group? And that's what we do in music therapy. So there, there are more transfers than you think. But again, this is like the how and the support was really important. That's part of the, the design of, of finding out those assessment questions is like, do you want to give the actors, the students individual support or group support? Like, do they have a peer buddy or are they always with a staff member? Like, do they need rehearsal, like support during the rehearsal only, or do they need it also during the show? Um, so those are considerations that you would go through on, 
on the framework because each group might be different and we're hoping to be flexible (laughs) in that process. I can't help but thinking while you're saying all these things about how well and feeling how excited I am and just the way you're talking about this, because I'd never really thought about the audition process being an assessment, but obviously like that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, even outside of a therapeutic context, it's assessing who's best for the role. And I think rather the connection's really being drawn. Absolutely. And that's the piece is like the, the connection piece. I think a lot of times if you've had previous experience in musical theater, the word audition can be really frightening or like have a negative association with that. And I think when we first brought it up, when I said, absolutely, we're going to have auditions because we want them to have this traditional experience. I think some people thought, oh, you're going to, you know, single out people who might not have particular strengths or might have limitations. It was like, no, we want to do this to do assessment, to figure out what is like, what way can everyone shine? Like what's everyone's individual way that they can shine. And we did a cast list and we posted the cast list, but it was definitely more of an assessment and not so much like, uh, (laughs) you know, when you're at an open call and they're like, thank you. You're, you're good to exit. (laughs) You're okay to go now. And you think, oh, I I did terribly. Yeah. (laughs) No, we kept everyone the whole time. There wasn't, (laughs) we didn't like make them leave. Now that I think about it, you're right. Like the, (laughs) there wasn't a, There wasn't a moment where we like let half of the group go. Everyone stayed the whole time. Everyone got to do every piece of the audition. So everyone sang, everyone danced, everyone read lines, everyone played acting games. We did a lot of rotating. So it definitely was not a traditional, please bring your 16 bars audition. Um, But we allowed them to prepare for the audition if they wanted to, like just listening to a CD, uh, some tracks that we created. Honestly, all of it was really, I don't think anyone prepared for it. We taught it all by rote the night of the way that you would teach, like, like literally chaining things together the way that you might teach a song in music therapy. It was, it was not a traditional audition, but it was pretty close. And that was because we are combining that, that traditional piece with the assessment piece of the music therapy process. I'm thinking too, like scripts, social interaction, reading, like cognitive skills, obviously like dancing, motor, like I'm just getting really excited, obviously, from everything you're yes. saying. And that that's the the beauty of like being able to have individualized plans. So at this this first show that we did, it, it was more difficult to get individualized plans because we were doing so many things at one time. But there were like two or three kids who we were actually seeing individually as music therapists and who are their teachers were actually part of the project. And so we were able to really make specific plans for them for each week. It was like, these are their goals for this week. And that didn't happen for everyone because we had like 30 kids, but you could absolutely make that happen. Um, if those cognitive skills are what you're going for, there are so many ways, like you said, to, to fit those goals in. So then after you've gone through that process, what's next? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. The, the The next phase talks about, it kind of goes back to that development phase, actually, and talking about considerations for what your story or your plot uh, really looks like. The reason why it doesn't go after the second phase, like you would think that it should go right after that development piece, is because of the timing. By the time you figure out everything with the 
the plot and the pre-written or deciding on the composed or what are the what's the story going to look like you should be in the timeline figuring out what the recruitment of the actors looks like so that by the time you have that third phase figured out you have your group ready to go so it's kind of things that happen or <laughs> again this is a framework this is just an idea of what it could look like um, the idea would be that things might be happening simultaneously but yeah, talking about the plot, different pieces like the libretto or the script or what it might look like for some people in this research project. Some people had like a Word document with 30 lines on it and each kid got like five lines. Some people had a license agreement and they had like a full on script. So that, again, would be dependent on your group. Talking about different considerations for who might be working with you. So do you have like a director? Do you have a music director? What does your team look like? And then like, what can those people get done? Like, can it be a hour and a half show or two hour show? For most people, that was never really the answer. But a 45 minute show, is that an appropriate length for your group? How many musical numbers are there going to be? Are there going to be 10 or are there going to be three? And kind of how long those are. Again, using your music therapy judgment to, to figure out what what that looks like. So that, that would be the third phase of figuring out those considerations. The fourth is just talking only about the music considerations. Okay, yeah. So there were six phases, correct? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the fourth, talking about the music considerations. And I'm going to assume for the audience that's listening, we're mostly music therapists. I know we have kind of a variety, but those musical considerations could be, you know, what obviously what about the music is going to elicit that goal or what's developmentally appropriate, etc. So let's say we get through those musical considerations, which for us is much more involved, but for the sake of a <laughs> podcast, yes. we can probably skim through a little bit. What would be the fifth thing? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think with the music, if you would, if you were to read the different elements of music and what we found in the study to be like what is the most appropriate or the most used based on the needs of these similar groups, you would start to realize like that makes sense using like four, four meter and, um, you know, using live music versus recorded so that we can make sure it's able to, you know, have vamping or be flexible and the tempos or the dynamics and stuff. It starts to, to make a lot of sense. So you can absolutely look into that. But the fifth phase would be the rehearsals. And this is where we get into that like session vibes. What's a rehearsal? What's a session? What's a music therapy group? And again, just being willing to be flexible with that terminology. We use rehearsals because we wanted that traditional process for musical theater. But like I said earlier, we had music therapy interventions. We had time for OT interventions. We always did warm-ups, physical and vocal. There was a lot of times we did warm-ups with instrument play or vocal improvisation, songwriting. We would also think about the the dialogue, like, do you want to use a script or do you want to teach them by rote? Do you have materials that can be available for them to practice at home or are they only working during rehearsals? And again, the accessibility of different things like movement and staging for that tap number that I talked about for our kids who were in wheelchairs, they had choices to uh, use a tambourine as the tap sound. So some decided to like do the movements like they would kick 
the tambourine uh, at the same time as we would have those tapping sounds. Some decided to play it on their lap. They they had a bunch of different choices for those movements uh, to make sure that they were uh, accessible for all of the actors. And then for the staging, just teaching do you want to use visuals? We we had so many charts where it was like, this person goes here. If you think about a traditional musical theater experience, sometimes they just say like, stage left and then do whatever you feel like. And then the next scene happens and they give you, you know, like a few places to be. But we had a lot of time to think about like, do we need sensory items if the scene is really long <laughs> for people who might not be able to sit or who might need other things to do while the scene is happening and and just kind of going through those considerations. So that's the fifth phase is thinking about what does that group look like? Do you want to start the rehearsal with a hello song and end it with a goodbye? Just different ways. And then also just thinking about documentation. How are you keeping that information from group to group, from rehearsal, rehearsal, clean and organized and um, functional so that you know next week what's going on? And hearing this, I encourage everyone who's listening to check out your thesis. And we can put a link to it below in the description. But just to get a more in-depth idea of, you know, everything you're talking about, obviously we don't have time to cover it all, but just (laughs) for instance, the sensory things on the side is such a brilliant way for long scenes. Like the way that you're connecting between all these different aspects of therapeutic goals is just incredible. And like that was something that the OT students were so good at, you know, like there were times where I, I, I knew a student and I said, man, she would love, you know, something like a weighted. I said it was on a farm. So I, I said, like, is there a way that we could make a weighted like, you know, animal that she can have on her lap. And I didn't really know how to execute it or our team members would come up with amazing ideas. Again, the best team, but figuring out like, how can we actually execute those? And then the OT students would come the next week and they'd be like, I created this animal thing that is adorable and it's a weighted you know, thing. So again, that teamwork was very, very important, but yeah, any, any idea that you have, it was always so great to be working with the team to to really execute those. And that might be something that those listening might want to think about as well. I know you talked about that a little bit earlier, but mm-hmm. who are the professionals that you want to include in the process and how you'll utilize them? Absolutely. So that brings us to our last phase. And I'm assuming I have an idea or a hunch as to which phase this will be, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is the last one, and it talks about performance and closure. We know closure is very important in therapy, and if you've ever been in a show, you know that like the next week after a show, you're really sad because it's over, and you know the curtain closes on the last night, and you say bye to everyone, and sometimes that's really hard. For some of our kiddos with more severe needs, the idea of not having that group every week after six months was so difficult. One of my favorite stories was like us talking. We had a, we ended up having a cast party and we talked about the show for the next year and stuff. And one kid who was very stuck to his role, like was very, very serious about his role. We said that next year we would be doing, you know, a different show. And he was really upset. He was like, nope, next year I am, you know, this character and I'm going to do it again. And I will reprise the role. 
and uh, I will do it every year for the next 10 years. Oh. I was like, no, we're going to do a different show. And he really didn't like that, like that idea. But he, he came to understand that, you know, through this closure process, it was like, this is the show and we loved it and we had closure and now we we've moved on. But the performance piece, again, just considerations in that, in this last phase of what do the costumes, the set do you have the right microphones? Is there lighting? Do you want to do ticket sales if it's appropriate? Did you advertise in any way? Things that sometimes you just forget about in the chaos of producing a show. Things that we ran into that we wanted the traditional experience to look like, but again, takes extra coordination. Like, do you want to have extra rehearsals during a traditional tech week? Do we have snacks for the kids during that longer time? Do people need cue cards, like line cards? Are all the accessibility features, are they marked for people when they come in? You know, are there bows? Are there introductions at the beginning of the performance? And again, the the traditional aspects of like, we have to strike the set. We got to tear it down and collect the costumes and get a cast photo. And for us as researchers, it was important to get that final data. We did exit interviews and my favorite video ever is an interview we had. We interviewed audience members as they left the show, just seeing especially the kids who were in the audience, their reaction of what did you think the show was about or their reactions were incredible. So thinking about things like which way do you want to collect data? Because again, if if one of your logistic considerations was we need to write a grant and you get a grant for this type of project, you'll have to have data for that, for that grant, things like that. And always, if you want the performance to be recorded or disseminated to other people, how to how to do that. But we we talked about the closure. So that's that's the last piece um, is that performance and and closure piece. But yeah, and I think a cast like you said, a cast party afterwards would be a really great way to do that. Yes, we watched the show. It was very fun. We watched the recording of it and we ate pizza and I, I will not forget those pictures um, of that show, of that cast party, because we thought about that first rehearsal where no one knew anyone. Everyone was nervous and awkward. And at that cast party, everyone was intermingled and sitting together. And we had parents inviting kids who they would have never in their lifetime met, even though they all lived in the same town, inviting them to their birthday parties and just seeing that interaction was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That lived continued experience of having those relationships that have been built. Mm-hmm. Which was the point of that show was that specific show is that one of the songs was called Good Friends and it just talked about what a friend is and it and how friends are made instead of like what people look like or what they do. So yeah, the relationship piece was so important. As somebody who has done a little bit of research in their past, I I can't help but asking, what are some limitations or what are some things to consider? I know a lot of talk is too on like potential harm and things like that, but what are just things to be aware of that you may not initially think of? Yeah. One of those first limitations for us was the space. Finding an accessible space, it was way more difficult than we thought it would be. So that was that was an immediate limitation as far as the project goes. I think, of course, there are limitations because this framework has not been replicated by anyone else. That's one of my major goals would be to have this 
replicated. Of course, you know, I finished it in 2020. So the opportunity to try it during this time, I would love to try it over telehealth, but the in-person piece is, is really important, but I would be willing to try it. Absolutely. But thinking about this, you know, there are obviously limitations to a framework, but using it as a guide might be useful. Trying to think of limitations. I think it depends on the group too. I helped with a a similar group in a different community who was doing an inclusive show. And the limitations were that the show didn't quite fit the group. And it, it ended up being really complicated because the music was very complex. The story was very complex and it kind of didn't fit the personality of the group. So the limitations kind of came as the process went along thinking about those limitations of like really thinking about who do I have? What is my team? What does it look like? What are those outcomes? It's easy to get stuck. This is a complicated process as you can probably imagine. So trying to prevent, try to do some problem solving before jumping into to a really complex show. I think that might be a limitation. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk on that and walk through for both me and for our listeners ways that they can implement those. Is there anything, uh, since we're getting towards the end of our time together, is there anything that you want to plug for yourself or any big projects or ways that people can contact you and find you if they want to ask you more questions? Sure. Yeah, of course. I love to talk about this topic. I would love to hear from anyone who has an interest in musical theater and how it fits within music therapy, clinical practice. I would love to talk to anyone who has those interests because again, this hasn't been tested in any way as far as this specific framework. So I would love to talk to anyone who might think about replicating something similar and anyone just in general interested, uh, I, I love to to chat about this project because I think the the potential is is really endless. Also, would love to share a little bit about Music Therapy Made Simple. We have an Instagram, pretty much all of our handles for Instagram and Facebook, and our email are Music Therapy Made Simple. Um, our email is Music Therapy Made Simple at Gmail, and our website, which is the thing that we use the most, is Music Therapy Made Simple We would love for you to be a part of the Music Therapy Made Simple community. It's been such a joy for us in 2020. We just launched um, in January of 2020. So we're coming up on our year anniversary, which is crazy, January 20th. Wow, congrats. Thank you. Yeah, I can't believe that it's been a year. Uh, What a wild year to start a business, huh? Mm -hmm, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a ride, but I, I have loved every minute of it. Candace and Haley have been awesome team members. So we would love to have you um, in that community as well on Instagram or just check out our website. If anyone has questions or thoughts on, on the framework or just general interest, my email is katiefortino, K-A-T-I-E-F-O-R-T-I-N-O dot M-T-B-C at gmail.com and would love to, to connect with anyone who's interested. And as always, any of the information that you've heard today or any of the links will be in our description. So feel free to check that out on whatever streaming service you're listening on. And Kitty, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. And I want to encourage everyone to follow Voices of Music Therapy on Facebook, Instagram, as well as just listen, because we have so many amazing episodes and interviews coming up and ones that we've already done. So it's always 
a time that you can learn in an accessible format that you can listen to for free. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. If you'd like to see today's guest or learn more about the show, check us out on Facebook or Instagram at Voices of Music Therapy or on Twitter at VOMT Podcast. If you have any questions or if you know any innovative music therapist and would like to recommend them for the show, you can email us at voicesofmusictherapy at gmail.com.